So what are Joe Biden's poll numbers this hour? This time on Poll Hub, the massive Democratic presidential primary field is being polled like Election Day is, you know, tomorrow. Too much too soon? Well, it could be just a silly media goes too far issue. But for the debates, uh, yes, we'll dig in. Then our resident mom in the media and Poll Hub executive producer Mary Griffith leads our discussion with Melissa DeCesar from Edison Research on new polling of moms. Just in time for Sunday. What is it? Oh, Mother's Day! Kids are napping, so let's get this done while we can. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Merigoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. And I'm Mary Griffith, Media Director for the Marist Poll and Executive Producer of Poll Hub. Unfortunately, Barbara Carvalho is a little under the weather and will not be joining us today. You do not want to hear her voice in your podcast earbuds this time. Wow. It, it's worse than Lee's was last week. Yeah. Yeah. And you were terrible. Oh, no. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The content, yeah. content hey, rules. So um, we uh, we stirred up some dust back in 2016 uh, because uh, polls, these very early polls on the primaries, were being used at least in part to determine which candidates in the giant Republican field at that time were going to participate in debates. And Lee, you didn't think that was a great use of polls that this early, this far out, don't necessarily have a lot of gravitas. Yeah, and so what we did uh, four years ago is we opted out of polling on the horse race part of the massive field of Republicans at the time. And I must say, never has a non-poll story gotten more coverage. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, the, the thing like, it was counterintuitive or something. Here's a pollster not polling. So we could save a lot of money. We just don't poll and we make a lot of news by not polling. Well, right? I, I must say that was a popular option around the office as everybody <laughs> at saw least, the At least with the accountants. Yeah. yeah. Why are you on vacation? Why are you not working? It's actually one of the busier weeks that we've had. So, okay, so here's the bottom line on this. Uh, polls are, as we've talked many times on, on, on the podcast, are not necessarily as precise as the numbers suggest. There's things like margins of error. Well, and this, and this far out. I mean, it's important yeah. to note that we're talking about asking people questions about who they would like to see, maybe vote for, in many cases, a year from now. That's right. Many of the people are voting yeah. a year from now from people they have almost never heard of. So it's all about name recognition. And yet the debate becomes the major event that they, from a candidate right. standpoint, so, desire to be included in. So, but it's important to know that the poll isn't necessarily inaccurate. It's just measuring something that is almost impossible so, to measure so, this and far this out. this is a practical problem. So if you have you know, an enormous number of candidates, many more than you would want to willingly or hopefully put on the stage <laughs> in, in a feasible way, let alone <laughs> poll realistically. Hi, I'm going to read you the list of the following 40 candidates. Please tell me who you support. You're going to get lost in the sauce. So I think what you're seeing here is, um, you know, polls, the application of polls to this selection criteria. And what the Republicans did four years ago is, among other things, relied on this precision, which was really not there uh, in the yeah, numbers. Yeah, if you were, above, if you were at 10%, you're in. If you're at 9%, you're not. It's yeah. like... Well, well that, no, it didn't actually... It worked if you were at 4% and someone else was at 3.8% and you only had so many seats at oh, the table. Oh, you got knocked off the bottom, right. 4 beat 3.8 when in poll terms, it really doesn't. So what has ended up happening was some of the lower-rung candidates started gaming the system as the time approached for when the decisions would be made in the hope of just getting a little bounce in the numbers. Just get me two-tenths. So, so now we have the candidates gaming the criteria, 
and the whole thing went was sort of the horse the horse race before the cart. And in this election cycle, the DNC seems to be trying to take a little bit of the pressure off of that poll criteria and has added another dimension of fundraising criteria in addition to um, the, the poll numbers and the uh, percentages that the candidates get in the polls. And Lee, I know you've been taking a really close look at the criteria set forth by the DNC. So why don't you give us an overview of what they are putting forth? Well, I think the, the key thing here, I think, is, is part of what they're looking for is the money. So you have to be able to demonstrate a, a broad-based donor base to be able to say, I have viability in terms of raising money. There are a lot of people out there in all these states, uh, I believe it was 20 states that they were looking for, uh, that you had to generate uh, f funds from um, in order to show viability. And then also, they did use polls as sort of another criteria, which was, do you have 1% in several national polls or... New Hampshire and Iowa polls that would be uh, that would matter, and also South Carolina and or Nevada. Okay, so so the first four, you know, the the big four early contests, and whether they uh, you had one percent. Now, what does that really mean? Yes, one percent is like still within all kinds of crazy talk about margin of error. Same problems the Republican has, but. I think what it does here is you're not ranking one against the other and drawing a line and say, you made it, you don't. Why bother? Um, At 1%, shows, what's yeah, the point? But I think what it shows, and, and uh, to their credit. I mean, Lee, you could get 1% in Nevada. Well, I, I tried and I didn't. So, okay. Well, maybe not in such a crowded field. That's right. But so what it shows is, do you have a modicum of support? Is there any visible support? You know, you do a survey. If you don't get 1%, that means pretty much no one mentioned you as a choice. And so what you're asking here for is fundraising capabilities and also some recognizable support to provide some measurement on what do you do when you only have 20 seats and so what they've done is divide up into two. I think it's a more reasonable uh, use of a poll. I'm still not loving it. We, we have no plans of polling this horse race and being part of this, uh, but I certainly don't you know, I wouldn't shy away from it if one of our media partners said, let's get it in the mix. I think it's a different ballgame. I, I mean, my problem with it is that if you turn on uh, not just the cable news channels, which have, you know, uh, 24 hours to fill and, and nothing to fill it with except for jabbering heads, uh, even if you go to uh, the, the major newspapers that are devoting large, you know, resources to uh, reporting out stories in a meaningful way, this conversation about whether Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or whoever is up or down week to week this far out is absurd. And I think it's really misleading to the electorate yeah. um, who are not focused, are not going to focus, should not be expected to yes. focus. It's like sports. You like to talk about the Yankees, right? This is like this is like politics as a sport, mm -hmm. where for an awful lot of, of, of sports fans, hardcore sports fans, you follow it all season long. But when your team makes the World Series, all of a sudden, you're one of millions yes, of fans yes. of that team. And, and that's what politics is like to me, is like the vast majority of people who are going to go to the poll on Election Day are like the fans of the Yankees or any sure, other team sure. when they make the finals. Yes. It's like, oh, I'm going to pay attention now. They're in the finals. But to poll them now, I just think, I, I understand why we do it. I understand why mm -hmm. people are polling. I think the media is giving it inordinate amounts of attention. Well, I, and I, I think the party, I think the Democratic Party is making the same 
basic mistake that the Republican Party is making in giving any credence to these early but polls you have at all. To, but what do you do when you have more than 20 candidates or maybe 30 candidates? They've divided into You go to a parliamentary system. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, No, so I agree with you with that. I mean, obviously, my instincts are, my inclinations are to go down the route you're saying. And clearly, I don't really care right now from a statistical standpoint how much Joe Biden is ahead of anybody else in the field. I don't think that matters. But I know Joe Biden has to be included in this debate, as does Bernie Sanders. And as we, those are easy calls. But from a news judgment standpoint, I don't think the media sponsors and the DNC want to be in the business of sort of determining who has a shot or not. If you don't make these debates, I mean, don't you really much have to close down your candidacy? Right now, there's 17 candidates who have made qualifi qualified for the first debate, um, 11 who made the, both the polling and donor criteria, six who've made the polling criteria only, so that's a little weaker. Um, and then there's about five or six other people who have announced or are going to announce. Um, that gets you over 20, and then they're going to have to start figuring out. That's when the poll starts to matter. But in terms of who's in second, who's in third, who's in eighth, I think you know there's a President Giuliani and a President Jeb Bush who can talk about what it's like to be in front right now. <laughs> We'd like to turn now from Democrats to doting moms. Sunday is Mother's Day, and in honor of Mother's Day, we'd like to welcome Melissa DeCesar, a vice president from Edison Research. She's here to talk about the Moms and Media 2019 study that is just released. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Now, you have one of the coolest titles in survey research. You are one of re the research moms at Edison Research. <laughs> Tell me about this group that you're involved in. Yeah, well, uh, as you know, Edison Research is uh, the company, right? But the research moms are a subgroup of Edison Research, and we are uh, employees here who also happen to be moms. So we kind of handle the mom's research for the company. So we do all kinds of studies uh, for uh, brands, ad campaigns. We field our own custom studies each year. So, um, you know, as we're going to talk about today, we do media and technology uh, reports for moms. So when it comes to moms, uh, there's nothing off limits for us to look into. And this is part of the Infinite Dial series that Edison has been uh, conducting since um, uh, since 19, 1998, excuse me, but you've been focusing on moms in this Moms in Media study since 2011. Why focus on this particular demographic? Uh, moms have always been uh, a very important demographic to look at. Um, you know, they are the big decision maker in the household. Uh, I agree with that. They play a large, <laughs> yes, they play a, a huge role in all the purchasing decisions, big or small, uh, managing the logistics of everything in the household. Um, they really are the drivers of the families, right, and of the household. So it's really important to see what's going on uh, with them and, and uh, you know, what they're media habits are and, and how they're using technology and, and what they're up to, basically, with all of these new devices. Yeah, so let's talk about the numbers and the devices, uh, just a couple of headline numbers. Nearly every sure. mom has a smartphone, 94%. Almost 30%, it's 29%, but almost a third of moms have an internet-connected watch, like a, an Apple Watch, which that surprised me. And then a third of moms, again, own a smart speaker, like a Alexa or, or one of these kinds of things. Two questions. One, does any of that surprise you, and is any of it 
different than what we've seen for the general population in these same types of questions that are asked of the population at large? Uh, well, one, uh, I'll answer the first one. Uh, I'm not surprised at all uh, by any of these numbers because as we've seen historically when we've been looking uh, at moms and doing our moms in media reports, uh, moms have a tendency to really adopt new devices, especially if they're a good fit for their lifestyle. And moms, uh, we live a very mobile lifestyle. We're always on the go and we're always on the run. So when these devices come out that, that um, fit perfectly with that, um, we embrace them as moms and we make them work. Uh, we fit them into our existing habits, we create new habits around them, um, and we're off and running with are these, them. So are it these, doesn't surprise me. Are, yeah, are these numbers roughly comparable, though, to what the population at large is, is doing, or are moms kind of ahead of the curve in this case? Um, typically, and I'd have to look for this year, but in the past, moms tend to be a little bit higher in terms of, of smartphone ownership. Again, I don't have those total numbers right in front of me, um, but in the past when we've compared, they've been a little bit higher among moms. Um, but again, moms really have uh, shown us that the smartphone is a must-have for them. I mean, it's they're doing all kinds of things on there that they would have normally had to do uh, in front of a computer, uh, what the smartphone is doing is, is bringing the internet to mom wherever she goes. Uh, we know from the data that 90% of moms are accessing the internet from their cell phone, aka their smartphone, right? So um, they're doing all the kinds of things that they want to do. They're consuming media, they're engaging social networks, they're shopping, uh, and that's just the fun stuff. Uh, you know, then we get into all the things that they can take care of while they're on the run, online banking and paying bills and signing their kids up for activities and, and registering things and doing all of those otherwise tedious tasks that they don't have to be in front of a computer. They can check them right off the list and, and not even miss a beat. Now, admittedly, this is not my major area of expertise, but I was struck in the findings by one... Are you, you talking about the technology or mom? Oh, probably both, <laughs> both in that case. <laughs> uh, both in that case. I, I'm not even going to bring this back to the New York Yankees. There's no segue here. So anyway, uh, but okay. So one of the things that struck me as, as really interesting in the data uh, that I'd like you to comment on is how much moms are relying on their kids, especially teenage kids, to assist them, uh, to learn from them, uh, to get to this high, high level of, 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 of expertise with all the new gadgets. Yeah, so we included um, some data points in Moms and Media this year that came from another study that Edison did early in their year. Uh, it was a partnership study between Edison Research and Country Radio Seminar. Uh, and uh, while it was for Country Radio Seminar, it wasn't just about country listeners. Uh, we surveyed a national sample of parents of teenagers. Uh, and you know the data just fits so perfectly uh, into the, the theme here of Moms and Media that we included uh, some data points. So uh, yes, we have here at 76% of moms of teens agree that their teenagers do assist them with new technology. Um, so, you know, as a mom who, and we know the moms, right? They're using technology, they're using these new devices. Uh, so if you can use them and use them with your 
favorite people and get that help from your favorite people, your kids, and in this case, specifically your teenagers, um, that's a win-win because when you have kids, especially older kids and teenagers, anything that you can do with them that puts you in their world, um, that you can do together, um, that's huge, you know, because it's not always easy to find that common ground. So if technology and, um, you know, devices bridge that, then that's perfect. I, I, I have a segue. You can always take your mom, the teenagers, to Yankee Stadium for Mother's Day. There's my segue. What, is the, what do the Yankees have to do with that? It's I something I know about. Oh, I get okay. it. Sorry, I Mary, was completely you to, lost. I had no idea what was well, going on. I'm glad you made that point of clarification. Melissa, the, the data shows that uh, moms like social media. I think it's more than 90% of moms today use social media. How much of that do you think has to That's do with right. what you were just talking about um, to kind of connect with their children? Or do you think that they're using social media for another purpose? Um, well, that's right. You are correct that 92% of moms uh, use some kind of social networking site or service. Uh, so moms are definitely right in there uh, with social media. And I think a lot of the reasons that they're using it um, is to not so much connect with their children, but to use it for things for their children. Uh, in the case, uh, you know, something like Facebook, for example. Moms probably have a unique reason to go to Facebook, maybe more so than somebody that doesn't have kids, right? Because a lot of organizations, a lot of groups, community groups, even PTA groups, that's how they're circulating and pushing out notices and information about school events, about extracurricular activities. So uh, I think that plays a part in it, um, but also just sharing and connecting uh, and engaging with different things on social media is what, what brings mom there. But they do have that unique um, need uh, in terms of getting the information about kids' activities and school activities and, and things of that nature. And that's very interesting because that's how I tend to use social media, particularly Facebook, um, in relation to my mm -hmm. kids. I have younger kids. Um, my older is six and my younger will be five next month. Um, and they're in the same school kindergarten and preschool, and that's how I see a lot of the pictures from the activities that go on at the school because I am a working mom and I don't get to be there for some of the events that do take place. So that's how I get to kind of connect with their da daily experiences at school. And you look at them on your smartphone, right? Absolutely. You're that, yeah, it's all on the smartphone. <laughs> of course. Melissa, before we move on to, um, to another area, I did want to ask you about the platforms on social media that moms are using. They like Facebook, but kind of reflective of what we're seeing in the general population, the use of their use of Facebook is declining. So do you have a sense as to why that is and where they're turning? Right. Well, it's important to note that um, it is, we have seen a decline among the total population um, for currently using it. Um, and for moms, we see not really that same decline with using it, uh, where we see the decline is amongst moms who use social media and use Facebook the most. So that's where we see that shift. So kind of going back to what we just talked about, about the reasons why moms still use Facebook and that they stick with Facebook um, for those unique reasons about their children, to get information about their children. 
Um, you know, that, that's probably why the numbers of current usage are still so solid. Um, but then when we see the numbers going down for using Facebook the most, that's when we kind of see where maybe the moms are using a lot of these other social sites that are on their radar. And they're not spending as much time with Facebook that they used to. They're still getting what they need from it, but not all the time. Edison Research is, is, is clearly known for its political exit poll surveys. Um, could you talk a little bit about the methodology in this survey, which is obviously very, very different? Sure. Uh, so this study, as we mentioned uh, at the beginning, uh, is taken from the Infinite Dial series, uh, which is a bigger study that we do when we do these pullout reports, Moms and Media being one of them. So uh, for the overall Infinite Dial study, um, we did a national telephone survey um, back in January and February of this year. Uh, we surveyed about 1,500 people who were age 12 and older. Uh, we used random digit dialing, and we called both cell phones and landlines. Uh, the data was weighted uh, to a national 12-plus uh, U.S. population figure, and in addition to the telephone survey component, we also conducted a national online survey uh, of over 4,000 people, again, age 12 and older. And that data was weighted to match infinite dial telephone demographics of those who had internet access. So uh, the survey was offered in both English and Spanish. Uh, and for moms in media, we're defining mom as a woman having a child under 18 living in her household. Um, so that was a heck of a methodology statement. You, <laughs> that was that was that was that was great. I have one last question uh, before we go, yeah. and it is coming up on Mother's Day. So if you mm -hmm. uh, if if uh, if for the people out there trying to figure out what to give their mom, should it be an Apple Watch type of thing, a smart speaker, a fitness tracker, or wireless headphones? What do you think? Um, well, you, you probably can't go wrong with any of those, <laughs> um, but I think, uh, you know, mom would be happy with just about with any device um, that kind of fits her lifestyle and keeps her moving and, and keeps her going. So it looks like uh, one of those survey questions that ends up with all of the above. Yes. All right, uh, Melissa, De uh, I almost got it. Melissa De Caesar <laughs> got it right. I, we wanted to fancify your name. I'm in good name, company. But, yeah. <laughs> so uh, thanks for joining us. This has been great. And uh, happy Mother's Day to you and to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that'll do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll here at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is not only our executive producer, she is our media mom. And Barbara Cavallo will be back as soon as she gets her throat all cleared up because she did not sound good today. And we'd also like to thank the folks at the Roper Center Archives at Cornell University who provide us with the ability to look back in time. But I want to point out that they're also better known at the Roper Center than they were only recently because what happened if, well if you follow twitter and you follow do we Aaron ask a Dustin question on twitter yes we have a question on jeopardy ding ding ding, ding. i don't know the music <laughs> starting in the 1930s elmer roper was the first to develop the scientific use of these in political forecasting these what these is a, a poll. poll amazing and there you go roper center breaks through on jeopardy alex trebek and now they're real famous. That'd be great if it was but a double now, Jeopardy question. We had won a lot of money for that, but anyway. Yeah.
Moving right along, I'd like to I'd like to remind everyone to please connect with us on social media. We're at Maris Poll on Twitter or Maris Poll on Facebook. And please don't forget to hit that little subscribe button while you're listening to us. Happy Mother's Day, Mary. Thank you. Have a great week. <laughs>